Well, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We've seen a lot in these last weeks. We've looked at the entire overview of the flow of the end times. We've seen about Christ's first coming and second coming. Talked about the rapture, the tribulation. We've gone on all that. Now, I'm going to go over this, and the reason I'm going to do it is because even when we go over a lesson, and sometimes in a lesson, we'll two or three weeks in a row, we'll go over the same thing on end times, and I'll still have people come up and say, boy, that's hard to put together. It does take a while to put it all together. So let me remind you again, as before we get into this last this lesson nine about the flow of end-time events. We know that in the Old Testament there were promises of the coming of the Messiah, and at a point in time in history, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and came to the earth. He came to the earth to die on the cross to pay for sins. We know the first coming of Christ dealt with his, his being born in Bethlehem. Now remember, a coming, when we say the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, this is to the earth. There is a coming of Christ in the clouds. We'll talk about that in just a second. So the first time Jesus Christ came, he came to the earth. He was born in Bethlehem at age about age 30 he started a ministry that lasted three three and a half years he is the son of God who died on the cross to pay for sin and rise again that's the death and resurrection after his resurrection he walked on the earth for 40 days and ascended into heaven 10 days after that we've seen in the book of Acts chapter 2 the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came and the church was formed and that's where we are now we're in the church age the very next event and it could happen and there are no uh, prophecies that must be fulfilled could happen any second Jesus Christ comes in the clouds, and we who are the, the dead, those who are already dead, will be raised up. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together, and will be taken off the face of the earth called the rapture. So just remember that the very next event that could happen at any second, and we'd say we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, so he could come take us, and when, when, when we're taken off the face of the earth, we said, and for the last couple of weeks, we looked at while we're with him there, that's where we'll stand before what is called the judgment seat of Christ or the rewarding stand. We'll be rewarded for the things that we've done in this body, whether good or worthless. That's basically it. While that's going on, there'll be on the earth a time called the tribulation. It lasts seven years. It's seven years because it goes back to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, in which God promised the nation of Israel 490 years to fulfill their plan. They used up 483 right there. This is the final seven to give them 490. And so during this tribulation time period, there'll be a man of sin rise to power called the Antichrist. There'll be a peace pact made with the nation of Israel. It will last for seven years, or it's supposed to last for seven years. In the middle of the peace pact, the Antichrist breaks the peace pact in his mind, claims to be God, puts an idol, his idol up in the temple, and there's what we call the Great Tribulation, and there are people being killed all over the world. There's great tragedies and everything. But the Jewish people, as as a people put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and at the very end of this tribulation time period Jesus Christ comes back we come back with him and we come, he comes to set up a kingdom and at the end of the tribulation he comes and j- j- judges the world basically and he sets up a kingdom that lasts for a thousand years we call it the millennial kingdom that's what a thousand is and he rules and reigns in righteousness and justice and we rule with him the church age the Old Testament saints rule with him the tribulation saints rule with him unbelievers are in a place called Hades or Sheol or the heart of the earth. That's not the lake of fire. That's not hell. That's not being separated from God in that sense. But they're in that. During the thousand-year reign of Christ, we will serve him. And the basis for our service will be what? She said it to be faithfulness, but faithfulness when? 
faithfulness now. How we live for Jesus Christ now, this has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is a gift by faith alone. But as a saved person, if we live faithful lives, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, we will rule with him during this thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, there's a thing called the great white throne judgment. Unbelievers are raised to stand before Jesus Christ, and they're judged for their works, and they realize works cannot save them. Their names are not found written in the book of the life, book of life. Revelation chapter 20 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they're cast where? Where? Into the lake of fire. Okay, following them being cast in the lake of fire, we go into what's called the eternal state, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, a new heavens and a new earth, a new city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and we live for all eternity. And what do we do for all eternity with Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth? What do we do? Serve Him, and that service will be based on our faithfulness and service now. So what we have to realize is what we do now with our time, our money, our possessions, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, all of those things, everything goes back to this idea of are we going to be faithful to use what God's given us. Now we're talking about as believers. To, to have salvation, let me just say it again, make sure everybody's clear. To, to, for salvation, it has nothing to do with service or works or faithfulness or anything. Salvation is a gift offered simply by faith in Jesus Christ. So when a person believes in Christ, then we're saved, and we have eternal life, and we're going to be with Him forever. But how we serve Him, for, by not only here, but for all eternity, goes back to our faithfulness now. So that's why I'm going to go over that. And by the way, when we get to Lesson 10, we'll talk about one other thing. And then at the very end of Lesson 10, we're going to continue to go back over this again. But also, I'm going to put on that handout, that final handout, I'm going to put a list of terms uh, what we call uh, eschatological terms, end-time terms, things like what's premillennial and postmillennial and amillennial and pre-tribulation and those kind of terms so that you will know what they are. And by going through all this study, we should have an idea of what that means, and we'll have all that. So that's where we are, and the question is now, since we're right here, and are we in the last days? Yeah. When did the last days begin? At the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Hebrews chapter 1 says, in these last days. So we've been in the last days for a long time, right? And so in these last days, Jesus Christ could come at any second. So here we are. Let's just say we're right here. What are we to be doing as we await the return of our Savior? Well, there's so much, and we've gone over the flow, we've seen that, and we realize from God's Word the next event, of course, will be the rapture. It could happen any second, and so the question is, what are we to be doing as we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ? Turn to First Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at two places in First Peter, and I don't know how far we'll get today, but there's so much there. Uh, Peter writes to believers. He's writing to Christians, of course, and he's writing to encourage them, and he's basically talking about the return of Christ. Now, when we say the return of Christ, there is the first coming of Christ. Where did he come? To the earth. And what city? Bethlehem. He's born in Bethlehem. There's a second coming of Christ to the earth. Where will he come? He will come to the Mount of Olives right outside of Jerusalem, and he comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is another coming of Christ, but it is in the 
clouds. That's what Peter is writing about. He's writing to believers. Let's just say he's writing to us in a sense. Now, he's actually writing to Jewish people who are scattered all over who have trusted in Christ, and he's writing to them, and he's encouraging them to stand because they're in trials, because when they stood for Christ and they said they believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Savior, they were persecuted not only by the Jews, they were persecuted by the by the Romans, see? So they've got double trouble, as we'd say. So we're going to see this morning. Let me raise some questions as we think about the passage, or the section. What are we to be doing as we await the coming of Christ? What are the key areas to focus on? Because we're going to see in this passage, he actually tells us some things we focus on. We know the key is to be what? Be found faithful. But what are things to focus on? Second, why is prayer important? Because we're going to see that he talks about that. And then third, what are some important truths concerning our spiritual gifts? Because you know that when you stand before Christ, you'll be rewarded based on how you used your time, your talents, your gifts, your possessions, your your mind, everything. So that's the key. So there's so much there. Well, let's start. You know, sometimes uh, life can be ordinary, right? And the truth is, life really is ordinary. Sometimes people think that the life is this, these giant events and everything, but the truth is, you get up every morning, and you go to work or go do whatever you're going to do, and you go through the day, and you eat, <laughs> and then you go home, and you eat, and then you do a few things, and you go to bed, and then you do what? You get up the next day, and you do the same thing. And that's why when the Bible talks about running the race with endurance, the, the Christian life is not just some big event all the time. It's day after day after day after day doing what we're supposed to do. Now, sometimes there are big events that we look forward to. We say, I'm looking for something good, like the birth of a baby. That's big. We're saying, oh, okay, you know, we're down to the last trimester. We're this. Or maybe getting out of school. Somebody's saying, I got one more semester and I'm through. Or getting married. Some people are saying, like, Sarah Bond, I've got four months and then I'm married or something like that. And then some people say, oh, I'm just looking forward to this weekend in which we can rest because we have Monday off. Or sometimes we're saying, we're having a party. It's going to be so fun. Come to our house. And you go, I can hardly wait. I've got to written down or there's no telling what it is it's great to have something to look forward to but think about this as believers we do have something special we can look forward to it is this the return of our God and Savior Jesus Christ think about that we get to look forward because when could he come any second so how do we wake up every day I got a hundred years. No, you don't have a hundred years. You may be ten years old and say, okay, I'm going to live 80 years, so I'm going to be 90. You don't know if you're going to be here 80 years. You don't know when he's coming. He could come at any second. He could come at any second. Titus 2 says we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. John 14, Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. When I get it ready, I will come back and get you, and where I am, you'll be with me also. First Thessalonians says, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be what? Taken off the face of the earth. First Corinthians 15 says, we'll be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. I mean, all, it, it could happen. In any, so we could say, hot dog, this could be any second, right? But do we live that way? 
We really don't, do we? We don't live like this could be the last day or moment because he could come at any time. And as we said, we talked about this last week, we hope that if he were to come right now, there wouldn't be anybody left in here, right? Because if you're left behind, you're what? You're not a believer. You've not trusted in Christ as Savior. So he could come at any second. As we look forward to the coming of our Savior, what should we be doing? And we look at First Peter. He talks about we see what we are to do or be doing as we await as we wait for our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to look at 1 Peter 1 for a second. And he gets, he just says a few things in 1 Peter 1, over in chapter 4. And if you just want to write down verses 7 through 11, you will get to it in just a minute in your handout. But in 1 Peter 1, there's just sort of a little warm-up here, and he talks about something. Now, let me remind you of something. Peter is encouraging believers, right? Do you understand, and I think you do, that... God always deals with us in grace. Think about it. How does he deal with us? It's always grace. In the Old Testament, were people saved by law? No, they were saved by grace, by grace through faith. In the New Testament, are people saved by works or goodness or anything? Always saved by grace. God always, or Jesus always, deals with us in grace. Think about it. It says in Titus 2, we're looking, it says, the grace of God teaches us to live godly and righteously as we look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. It's the grace of God that God, that Jesus is going to come in the clouds and get us. Now, let me ask you something. What if Jesus didn't come and the history that we saw, that we saw was going to happen happened? What would happen to us if Jesus didn't come get us? Where would we be? Then the tribulation. Do you think it's pretty gracious that he's going to come take us out? Right? We know it doesn't have anything to do with us. The tribulation deals with the nation of Israel. But aren't you glad that God is gracious enough to say, oh, the church doesn't need to go through that. It has nothing to do with them. It's for the nation of Israel. So I will pull them out. We go, thank you very much, right? Is this the grace of God? I want you to see First Peter chapter 1, look at verse 13. Now, he's been, he's been te- telling them to get ready. He's been talking about grace. He's been talking about believers. And then look how verse 13 starts. Therefore, and I put it right there, because therefore, when you see a therefore, what do you do? It's a summary statement. It's saying, now that I've told you all of this, here's what's important. Here we go. And he's telling them to be ready for Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. Before we put the next slide up, look, look, let's just read it. Look what he says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober. Fix your hope completely on what? On the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says that there's going to be grace given to us when Jesus comes. Grace given to us when Jesus comes. Look what he says. I think I put it up this way. He says, first of all, prepare your minds. Be ready for action. Keep sober, which literally means be clear-headed. Fix your hope completely on the grace, God's grace to you. Notice the verse again. Therefore, prepare your minds. The word preparing your mind just means be ready, think correctly. Keep sober. Keep sober has that idea. Be clear-headed. Know what's important. Think about this. What's important as we wait for Christ to come. 
That's what he's really saying. What's important as you wait for Christ to come? He says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. Put your hope, and hope, of course, is, is eager anticipation. Put your hope on the grace of God at the revelation of Christ. Um, I think the, there's an, yeah, the, re, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the word revelation means unveiling. That's why the book, and by the way, we've studied all this end time stuff. Please never say revelations. Oh, we've been studying Revelations. No, you haven't. You've studied Revelation. The book is not Revelations. It's Revelation. The word Revelation means the unveiling. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling of God's plan as he, as he brings to a close all things. And so he says here, get, get ready. Fix your hope completely on the grace to brought to you at the Revelation. Now, this is talking about his coming in the clouds. Christ will be revealed at the coming in the clouds. So he says, put your hope on God's grace given to you when Jesus Christ comes. Now, let me ask you something. When Jesus Christ comes, what is the grace that is given to us at that time? He's going to change us, right? He's going to change these bodies, which are wearing out. Now, if you're young, you don't even know what we're talking about. If you're young, you run, you jump, you do everything, and then you get older, and you can't run anymore. You can't run very fast anyway. You sure can't jump. You jump, and your whole leg hurts. You, you can't do the things you used to do. You go pick up something, all of a sudden, you, you can't even move your wrist after it anymore. And you go, I don't know what happened. I hurt my wrist. You know. So as you're wearing out, he's going to change that. He's going to give us a different body. He's going to take us to be with him. We said a while ago, that's really gracious because he could leave us here and we go through that other thing, but that's not the plan. He gives us rewards. This is all the grace of God when he comes and he prepares us to rule with him. So think about that. We're waiting for God's grace. See, you may sit there and you may say, I'm not ready for him to come because deep down... I know that I really haven't done all the things I should be doing. I haven't lived for Him. Now, we're not talking about salvation, remember? We're saying, when you stand before your Savior and He says, well done, good and faithful servant, you may say, I don't think He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because I haven't been very faithful. So you could say to yourself, I hope He doesn't come right now, because I need some more time, right? But the truth is, even if you hadn't done anything... There's going to be grace when he comes because he's taking you off the face of this earth and you're not going through what's coming on this earth. And so he's going to take you and change you. He's going to take you to be with him. Hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get rewards and he's going to prepare us to rule and be with him. That's the grace of God. By the way, when Jesus comes, there's always grace. Think about this. When he came the first time, was there grace? It was. The the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came the first time, what was the grace? The salvation. He died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. He came as the Lamb of God to do what? What does the Lamb of God do? Takes away the sin of the world. So on the first coming of Jesus Christ, there was grace. How about the coming in the clouds? There's grace because he takes us to what? To be with him. How about the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth? Is it going to be grace? He's coming to rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and take us into a kingdom and we'll rule in righteousness and justice and it'll be a thousand years reign on this earth with Christ. It's going to be beyond what you could even imagine. And then think about the eternal state with that city, the new Jerusalem and the streets. Actually, it says streets of what? Made of what? Gold. 
gold, and each gate's made out of what? A big pearl. I mean, that's really what it says. So he deals with us in grace. So here's the charge to think about from the very beginning of the book, and that is this. Think correctly. Get ready as we await the grace of God at the coming of Jesus. We can stop right there and say, okay, so be ready. Get your thinking right. Be serving. Do what you're supposed to do. Be ready because he could come at any second. And when he comes, there's going to be grace because we're going to be gone. We're going to be changed. We're going to stand before him. Hopefully we'll all hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. All of those things. And, And so we can hardly wait for him to come. Is that right? Let me just say this again. The older you are, the more you want him to come. And I'll just be honest. Sometimes there are younger people, or when you're younger, you say, well, there's things I, I, I really want to do before he comes. That's because we don't know how great it's going to be when he gets with us. That's like saying, I really want to eat liver when one of these days I'm going to be eating ice cream. I just would like to eat liver now. No, no, you don't even understand how much better it's going to be when you're with him, right? Think correctly. Get ready as we await. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I don't know how far we'll get on this. We might get through the whole thing if we go fairly quickly. But let's get specific. Because Peter actually gets specific. He actually tells us, here's some things that as you await the Lord, here's some things you need to emphasize. Have you thought about that? What are some things that if we're waiting for Jesus to come, and he says, I want you to be ready, I want you to think correctly, I want you to do the right things, what are the things that we ought to be doing? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. So let, let's, let's look at this. Peter gives us some specific things. Now go, I'm sorry, go back to the other slide. Just stay right there for a second. In verse 2 of 1 Peter 4, he actually says, I don't want you to live in the flesh. I want you to live for God. Look at verse 2. He says, so as, to live, <clears throat> so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. He's basically saying, while you're left on this earth, let's don't live for what the old fleshly man wants to do, but let's live for God. And then he tells us something in verse 5. We already know. Look what it says. For they, and he's talking about all people, he says, they, and he's talk, even unbelievers, he says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. When he says living and dead, do you think he's talking about people who are alive and people who are dead? That's what it seems like, but he's not. He's talking about those who are living spiritually live and those who are dead spiritually dead. Is, he, is Jesus Christ going to judge all believers? Is he going to judge all unbelievers? Yes, that's the living and the dead. Okay? Now, watch what he says. And this is, this is amazing because he says, let's talk about this. And let me break down verses 7 through 11 for you. Okay? First verse 7 says, the end is near, and here's the key, we need to be people of prayer. Now, I, I know that praying is the hardest thing we do. We act like it's not. You know, we say, oh, you know, moving chairs and setting things up and doing this, and you know, that's hard. That's not hard. Praying is what's hard. Because if I ask everyone even in this room, I say, do you pray enough, what would you say? No. It is hard. Have you said, well, I was going to pray, but I kept, what? Falling asleep. 
right? Or, or I was going to pray, but, you know, other things got in the way, or I didn't have the time. And, I mean, praying is hard. He says, here's the key. Here's the key as you're waiting. Be people of prayer. Then there's a second thing. As we wait, the key actions as we wait, look what they are. Are you ready? Love one another. Be hospitable to one another. And serve one another using our spiritual gifts. He says, listen, the end is near. And since the end is near, here's what you should be doing. You should be praying. And as you're praying and waiting, you need to love, be hospitable, and serve. That's big three. And this is what Peter says, and we're going to see it. Let's start with verse 7. Look what he says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of what? Of prayer. Let's think about what he says. He says, the end is near. The end of all things is at hand. The word end there, it literally means the goal. The goal is at hand. What's the goal that he's talking about? What's at hand? What? Huh? Well, it's, uh, the kingdom's not now. The kingdom's not the next event, right? So it's not time for the kingdom. What is, what is coming to an end? The church age. Listen, he never told us how long it was going to be. He told us the kingdom would last a thousand years. He told us the eternal state goes on forever. He said that the Jewish people have 490 years. He gave some specific things. But as far as the church, he says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most part of the earth. Go on and lead people to Christ. Make disciples. He didn't say how long. Now, Peter writes this. When did Peter write this? Anybody know? Peter was killed about the same time Paul was killed, and that was in the late 60s, 66, 67, 68 A.D. Has that been a long time ago? He says the end is near. <laughs> and that was, let's just say it was 2,000 years ago. So if it was near then, do you think it's near now? You think it's nearer than we've ever thought before, right? It gets nearer every day, doesn't it? Look what he says. The end is near. The end of what? church age. See, it's coming to a close. Now, he didn't give us time. He didn't tell us how long it's going to be. Throughout the scripture, he does get specific sometimes on how long things are going to be. How long is the tribulation? Seven years. How long is the kingdom? thousand years. How long was the Jewish people, uh, how long did he give them responsibility from the time he gave them that decree until it's all finished? 490. So he gives specific things at times. But the church, he didn't give any specifics. He just says, be faithful until I, till I come. Be faithful till I come. The end of all things is near. It's, it's time. It's the goal. is here. Jesus will come and he'll take us out. We'll be taken off the face of the earth. Time is running down. Israel's been set aside. The church is doing their job. One of these days we're going to be removed and it's going to be, it's going to be done. So he actually says, the end is drawing near. And we know the first coming, he came to, to die. The second coming, he comes to reign. The one he's talking about, he's coming in the clouds. And he's coming to get us. That's the next event. And we've been in this, this end times for a long time, this, this last days for a long time. Now watch what he says. Here's what you do. Therefore, the end of all things is near. So therefore, what's the therefore for? What's he saying? Since the end is near, what should you do? Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose 
of prayer. Therefore, what does he say? Keep on praying. Keep on praying. And he gives two things about praying. He says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit. The word sound judgment really means to have the right kind of mind, to be thinking the right way. Now, sober means to be alert. It means to be alert for the purpose of prayer. He says, clear your mind and be alert so you can pray. You know, we have so much happening in our lives. You get in the car. What do you do normally? Turn on the what? Turn on the radio, turn on the music, turn on a podcast, turn on something. And it's hard to pray when you're listening to somebody else, right? You ever thought about just getting in the car and not turning anything on and just praying? But see, if you've got all that stuff coming in, it's hard to pray. He says, listen, what you want you to do is to be clear-headed and to be alert so that you can be praying. Notice what he says. The end is near, so therefore be of sound judgment Think correctly, be clear-headed, see where we are, see what's going on, and sober spirit, sober means to to, to be clear-headed, be alert for the purpose of prayer. We'd say it this way, pray effectively. Be praying people. Prayer makes the difference. Let me ask you something. Do Do you believe that prayer makes a difference? Do you really? Have you, how many of you have prayed and God answered the prayer, what you asked him for. How many of you prayed and he didn't answer the prayer the way you asked him? Did he still answer the prayer? Just not the way you thought, right? But so we know that we can talk to God anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything. And he says, listen, I wonder what I want you to do since the time is almost up. And he could be coming any second to get us. Then what I want you to do is clear your head, start thinking right about what we're seeing, what's going on, and and, and be clear-minded. And so you can pray. You can be people who pray. Paul said, let's be looking for that blessed hope and be, be praying effectively. So here's the question. Are you praying? I mean, are we about to go to war? Is it a possibility we're going to war? Oh, we don't. We don't think it's a war. We say, "Oh, we all bomb those the Syrians over there, and it, it, it'd be nothing." Is that, isn't that what we think? That's what we said about Vietnam. That's what we said about Afghanistan. I mean, we don't know what's fixing to happen, right? Should we be praying? Should we be praying about our church and our building and and all to say, "Lord, hurry up," right? Right? <laughs> I mean, so uh, he says, "Listen, the time is at hand. He could come at any second." So be praying. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you pray for every day that you don't know if they're a Christian and that you're praying either that you have an opportunity to talk to them or somebody else will have an opportunity to talk to them? How many people that you pray for? Do you have a little list that says, okay, here's four or five people that, that I come in contact with that, that I, the best that I know, I don't know if they're a Christian or I'm pretty sure they're not a Christian. Are you praying for them? And are you praying that you will have an opportunity to talk to them? Or are you praying, Lord, I don't want to talk to them, but let someone else talk to them, right? I mean, who knows what you're praying for? But are we praying for people to come to know Christ? So think about this. You ought to go home and get a little book out and say, okay, all the people that I see in my sphere of influence every day, in and out, there are people I deal with, I don't know whether they're Christians. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to pray that I'll have an opportunity to talk to them. And who knows, I may find out they are. Or who knows, I may find out and have an opportunity to lead them to Christ. See, because why is it so important that you pray and have opportunities to talk to someone about Christ? Why is it so important? Okay, but uh, it could be a thousand years. Is that right? Could be a thousand years before anything happens? No. No. The end is what? End is near. He could come at any second. If he could come at any second and you say, oh, I'll wait a month, year, two years, because we don't know what's going to happen, and all of a sudden you're gone, what happened to that person? They're left where? They're left here. So why should we be praying and, and praying that people come to know Christ? There's nothing too big and there's nothing too small. Let me ask you something. Is there anything big to God? I mean, he didn't go up there and go, whoa, that's a pretty tough one. He didn't do that, right? So everything's small to him. If you were to say, I don't want to bring something small to God, God says everything you bring is small to me. So bring them all. Come boldly to the throne of what? Anybody know the throne of what? Throne of grace. Remember that? It's grace. It's always grace. Begin a list. Go home. Not not the second, but go home and get you a list and begin to pray. Now, we've got just a minute, but here's what I want you to see. While we're praying, what three things should be the emphasis? Now, this encompasses a lot of areas and there's so many other things, but what three things should be the emphasis? Look what he says, and we'll just have to stop here. Three specific things that we're to do as we're praying, waiting for Christ's return. Basically, he says, loving one another, reaching out to one another, serving one another. If we do those three things, I think we'll be effective as we await the return of Christ. And when, he, when we stand before him, he can say to us, well done, good, and what? Faithful. Because remember, it's not the amount of time you have on this earth. It's not the abilities you have. It's not uh, the opportunities you have. It's just the faithfulness you have to serve Jesus Christ.